We are back with another LinkedIn Live recording session. Please, if you've been enjoying these follow-ups with the guests in a more sort of live, real-time format, let me know if you've been enjoying them. We'd love to get some feedback. I've had some great messages from people who have been enjoying them. But before you enjoy the 30-minute conversation that me and Lewis had where we digged into business development, how Lewis has adapted, the pivots he's made during COVID, and uh, plenty of answers from the audience or answering uh, the audience's questions. Let me know if you've been enjoying them. But enough from me. Enjoy the LinkedIn Live session, and there'll be another one of these next week. Hello, LinkedIn. We are back live this week, I'm joined by Lewis, who works for Darwin Recruitment, and uh, really excited to, to have uh, Lewis here for 30 minutes or so. If you didn't see the episode released this week, Lewis joined me on the Recruitment Mentors podcast. So we're going to chat for the next 30 minutes, have a bit of an honest, open conversation, dig into sort of the now, what challenges Lewis is facing right now, how he's overcoming them, what he's hearing from his teams, and Lewis a lot of his role is focused on business development. So we're definitely going to dig into that. But for those of, um, for those people that may not know you, Lewis, and your background, if you, if we could start there and then we'll, we'll dig into it. Yeah, sure. Thanks again for having me, Hichim. Um, so brief intro into myself. I've been doing recruitment for, for 10 years. Uh, the last seven of those years have been spent at Darwin recruitment where I started as a trainee, kind of worked my way up the ranks, um, working in Denmark now in America and I currently sit as the director of business development. So my role for the most part is um, centered around initiating uh, relationships with build, with businesses, um, starting to build on those relationships and then predominantly introducing someone from the team who would then start to nurture and, and you know, expand those relationships over time. Okay, that's good to know. So, and that's remained the, and that's remained the case. Um, during the whole COVID period, like you haven't then got back sourcing candidates, is, is, has it still remained like business development? Yeah, just for context for people and for me. Yeah, so I'm still sourcing. So there is an element of my role that that requires me to find candidates for for two reasons, really. One, because you you have to stay close to the candidate market okay. to be able to stay on top of leads. Like doing candidate development is part of doing business development, in my opinion. Um, yeah. first and foremost, you never know when those candidates are going to be hiring managers. So it's good to build relationships early, thinking long-term always. Um, and then secondly, I'm more than happy to pick up a hundred percent of the 360 deal. If I find a candidate myself on occasion, yeah, Now, yeah. for the most part, I'm passing those relationships over, but yeah. if I know a candidate or have someone in my network, I'm going to find them, get them in process, place them and, and pick up uh, the commission. Okay, cool. I'll just, I'll just add. And then find <laughs> a bit of context. Yeah. You live in Massachusetts. Well, yes and no. I moved um, five, six weeks ago now to New Hampshire. So I'm, okay. I'm an hour away from Mass. A um, couple of reasons, again, being first one is a tax-free state. So um, yeah. basically promoted myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> at, and then secondly, I'm, I'm growing a family. So uh, whilst COVID is going on, it's, it's a much less densely populated area and uh, – you're just, you know, you're not on top of people. I, I much prefer that while my, my wife's pregnant. Fair enough. And then yeah. you recruit in the tech sector. 
Mm-hmm. And in terms of the businesses that you support, is it typically limited to the state that you live in or just find a bit of context on that in terms of typical states or where businesses are typically are based, where you support? Yeah. So the way the business is set up is that we have consultants looking after each technical vertical. Um, yeah. In the US, we have a little bit more freedom and flexibility in terms of what we uh, what we look after or, or who we support. And we're not tied geographically to a, a specific state in America. So for the most part, a lot of our business is done in New York, Boston, Chicago, and uh, and California, San Francisco. Um, although okay. we do have some some other opportunities going on down in the kind of Florida and Atlanta areas. Okay, interesting. Mm. Right, so let's get into this. There's a couple of questions that have come through already, but everyone that's joining us, thank you. We will get your questions answered. So for me, I think the daily conversations that I have, COVID, no COVID, business development typically is the area that people want to develop most in. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about that for a second. Like what has been your biggest challenge over during COVID on the business development side, would you say that you've come up against a lot and you've had, had, had to work really hard to overcome, would you say? Well, I would say that obviously it's been challenging for everybody, but we pivoted quite quickly. Um, it's very obvious that you're not going to do much business with a travel company right now. But you are likely to do more business with a uh, you know a company trying to uh, produce vaccines or pharmaceutical drugs or someone who's heavily involved in the e-commerce world because people are still spending money, although they're you know being laid off left, right, and centre. We've got Thanksgiving coming up, Christmas coming up. People are still buying. Um, so it was more a case of pivoting initially, trying to just see where the demand was. But I will say that we, or at least I, focus predominantly on data science. And people haven't stopped looking for high-level data scientists. Although the market has been flooded with with candidates, potential candidates, that hasn't changed the fact that all the good guys and girls are still happily employed. So there is still a huge demand for for senior-level talent in, in this particular space, which just means that we haven't been really that affected during COVID. Okay, fair. That's fair. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I guess- so, so I guess number one challenge then that I've heard numerous times, which I'm sure you've heard, which is in line with what you just said, Lewis, why would I pay you a recruitment fee when we can we can source this directly? What are you saying to that? Um, but the, more often than not, the reason they're having that conversation with me is because they can't. So <laughs> I think where we focus specifically on data science and kind of like surrounding technologies, we do a bit of product as well. We've got a new employee that just joined us. Um, There's always going to be demand. It's not easy to find these people. So as long as you're taking time to research businesses, understanding their need before going in and, and kind of trying to sell them something, if you're bringing value to them, you typically don't have to sell why you would work with me. You know, the candidate does that for you. Um, Mm. I feel like if, if you if you have good product, people are always going to want to buy from you. So staying on top of the market, staying on top of the trends, really just identifying where the needs are. Some obvious places for me right now, at least where I see machine learning data science going, is is automation, and then certainly crypto is is a is a hot topic right now um, with digital currencies and security and everything surrounding that. So I think if you just if you just are aware of where the tech market's going you really shouldn't have to sell your service too much if you have a good product. Okay. So let's dig into this then. This question has come through and this is what 
I, I guess I'm most interested in my question when I prepared for this was, okay, great. Get that. But like what has been or con- what has continued to be in the most effective way for Lewis to generate business and, and pick up business. So th- this question has pretty much come from Richard James. How have you adapted your approach? If you have adapted your approach, you're talking a bit about, well, you need to make sure you're on top of the market. And if you've continued to do that, you understand what problems you can solve by making sure you're still getting the right talent or talent that you know can solve problems for your businesses, then you should still, there should still be plenty of opportunities. But like, what's been the most effective way of you winning business or continuing to, and also have you adapted your approach in any way? Yeah. Uh, thanks for the question. Firstly, Richard. And, um, to answer that, I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, pushing the boundaries too far, but I, I actually have a podcast that I run myself. Um, and I leverage that in many different ways. First and foremost, for me to, to gain a better understanding of the space. Secondly, so I have some relevant topics that I can go back to the the, the industry and talk about. Um, and then thirdly, a lot of the people that I bring on to my podcast are hiring managers. Um I might not be supporting them in the short term. I've always got a, a longer term view when I when I do recruitment. Um, so I'm not necessarily picking up the phone and trying to push candidates down people's necks. I'm just trying to create those initial relationships and and leveraging my podcast to do that, um, and then creating some exclusivity around it and and bringing some value to them after. So, for example, I have a group on LinkedIn which is full of the speakers that I've had on my podcast, and they all chat with each other. So now I've got a, a group of hiring managers that I've brought value to, and occasionally I'll ask them for help on something, whether that be introducing me to someone else, whether that be what's the opinion on this candidate, whether that be has anyone got any jobs, um, and it's been quite effective. So just thinking outside of the the kind of just pick up the phone or send an email box, like what other tools do you have that you can use and leverage? And also like what other social media platforms can you use? Um if you are working in certain industries, LinkedIn might not be the best place to 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 to, to source or do business development. For example, if you if you're working in the security space, Twitter is a fantastic place to be. So yeah. just just being aware of what you've got available to you um, has helped with not only keeping it fresh as well. Because after ten years of picking up the phone, you kind of yeah. want to try new things. And this podcast has been really exciting uh, for me. And and it's generated. When did you start it? It wouldn't far off be almost twelve months to to the week. Okay, awesome. So, so it's been yeah, a okay. year. I, I obviously look. You know, you know what I do, and I I think podcast is a great. Uh, it's like if 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 a recruiter was to ask me, right? If I was to do one, if I was to choose and give every, everything to one marketing channel or one marketing activity, what would it be? It, it would be starting a podcast for sure because yeah. of the reason that you're talking about. So for anyone joining us today who are thinking, how the hell do I start that? Because I'm sure you had these worries or whatever, right? So what? Yeah. Would, so if I'm thinking now, right, you know what? That's that's a great thing for me to do. What would be your, like, I don't know, one, two, three bits of advice that you you tell me so I can actually kickstart this and maybe share what you did to get this started instead of being paralyzed yeah. by, I don't know what to do? Yeah, definitely. I think um, be authentic. Like... It, most recruiters aren't experts, although we proclaim to be them. We, we, we don't know the depth of, of what we're selling, certainly in the technology world. If, if I did, I'd probably go and be a data scientist. They earn a ton of money. Um, but generally speaking, like stick within your wheelhouse. 
So for me, the, the, the mindset behind my podcast is I bring HR knowledge or recruitment knowledge and then combine it with technical experts. And we talk about recruiting processes or hiring processes um, or, or just career general kind of processes. And, and, and that's really worked for me. Um, I tried to okay. do a couple of deep technical dives and I just looked like an idiot. So I just you haven't done them again. Ones. Well, they were the first one or two I did, and they were actually in person, yeah. so it was even more embarrassing. Like, they, it, <laughs> from, like I can wear grey now quite confidently and, and not worry about sweating. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but back back then, it was really difficult, really difficult. And um, I just changed it up and stuck with what I knew, and it made it a lot easier. As soon as you have, like, one bad conversation or one bad podcast, then you do a second one. It could be quite discouraging. Um, yeah. and, and it's hard then to go on to a third or fourth or fifth. So just stick with what you know. That's my first bit of advice. Second piece of advice is, um, I guess just, just have a plan, have a goal. Like what are you trying to achieve from your podcast is let's not shy away from the fact that it's a business development tool. It really is. Yeah, without doubt. And, and, and you should make sure that you're leveraging it to create business. Don't just do it and then become a podcaster. Like, that that's fine if you want to go down that route, but your your boss isn't going to be happy if you're just creating content and not money. So you have to have some end goal to it, um, and uh, and then there's there's a fine balance between doing it too often and not doing it enough. And I think I'm leaning on the side of doing it too often because it starts to have often a negative effect once a week, once a week, um, and mm. sometimes twice a week. And uh, and then I, I I post a lot of content, like my own content. I don't do as much resharing of content, but I feel like it's starting to have adverse effects now on LinkedIn. So I've, I still haven't figured it out. But yeah. sticking with what I know made me a lot more confident in having these conversations and then just ensuring that you're bringing value to the speaker. Because the speaker sure. will give you time, but if you don't bring in value and don't follow up with them after, then you've just had a chat with someone that was recorded once. And no one remembers yeah, and it. Then, they don't and you do that it. by you've got you're connecting them with other experts that they could learn yeah. from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, nice. So, yeah, exactly. okay, final thing on this. I've definitely got just one piece of advice that I've given that has helped people on this. But mm-hmm. the people that are joining us and going, okay, that that sounds great. But like, how does like? Let's just be really practical here. Like, how has this helped you on business development? Like, how has that? How has that then actually helped you? Like, has it enabled you to pick up the phone or reach out, whoever you've done it, and you've got more yeses, you've got more of an opportunity to start building a relationship. Like, how has it actually helped you? I think I think the latter really is that it, it's created an opportunity for me to have a conversation with someone that might not already normally pick up the phone. Um, so I've kind of got over that first hurdle. I think there is no gatekeeper in in the sense of introducing a podcast or a hiring manager because the gatekeeper is not going to go, we're not interested in working recruiters. You'd be like, well, I'm not, I'm not selling recruitment services. So you've already kind of crossed that hurdle. You're already in, in the door, so to speak. Um, and again, if you've brought value to them and you've introduced them to people after and you see them communicating, like, I don't want to say they owe you because that's not the right way of putting it, but there is an element of, right, okay, cool. He brought value to me. So is there an opportunity for me to help him? And I've so seen that, just, that's, how, that's how we operate, isn't it? Like if you help me, yeah. I'm naturally in scratch my back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, and they're just way more open to, to doing that. Um, whether again, whether yeah. that be next week or in two years from now, I guess time will tell, but it, it's yeah, just fair. definitely created that, that opportunity, that open door. 
I think just really quick, I just want to add my two pence in there just because it's something I can add value in. Mm. So what I so when you're talking about the strategy piece, so if you were to sit down with me, Lewis, when you when you if you if we had if we sat down together before you started this podcast and you're like, right, Hisham, I've got this idea, I think this will really help with business development, blah, blah, blah. This is what I would have said to you. So mm-hmm. you're completely right. One of the main reasons why you'd stop or you Lewis wouldn't be sharing um podcast episodes 90 days from that initial sit down would be because it hasn't generate results quickly or it hasn't you yeah. haven't seen the sort of direct correlation with how has this helped me as a recruiter and that could come from you yourself or it could come from your boss or whatever right mm-hmm. so for me if you're watching this you're like right you know what i am going to take action on a podcast then what you need to do is map out your dream 30 guests your first dream 30 podcast guests first 10 existing clients number one reason because it's a great relationship building exercise also, you're comfortable with these people. I'd like to think you're comfortable with them so you have more of a chance of having a decent conversation if you know each other. Yeah. And then yeah. thirdly, it can become a great digital asset that you can utilize when headhunting and, and recruiting for their teams. The second 10 are then target clients. Who are your target clients? You should know who those are. And then like Lewis has been doing, proactively reach out to these people and talk to them about your podcast. The third 10, and to make this a 30, then 10 thought leaders, hate that phrase, but 10 people that already have a brand in your space. And Mm -hmm. um, what you're then doing is piggying back back off their brand. And uh, that can accelerate the viewership, accelerate the listens, et cetera, et cetera. So the reason why I give people that advice is if you make it from day one, like intertwined with your recruitment desk, existing clients, target clients, these things, then you're going to have a much better chance of continuing it. So that that's what I would have said to you, Lewis, in terms of like a strategy, and then that hopefully would have given you a, the best possible chance of continuing with it. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Love that. So I've got a couple of questions. So I definitely. So if you're still with us, I'm definitely going to get Lewis's take on his thoughts and what he sees in like the US market landscape. I've got a question where someone wants your opinion, Lewis, on like the difference between UK, US. But let me, I've got a question here from Nathan that I didn't want to forget. Everyone loves this question. What is the structure of your day? Everyone wants to know what people's structures are, right? So you could, yeah, like tell us a bit about what's like, what are the non-negotiables in in your days or or weeks, um, Lewis? What does your, what does a typical day for Lewis look like, which you always aim to achieve because that gets you closer to your goals. Yeah. So leveraging the podcast again, that, that creates the structure for me. And then I work around that. So every Thursday at 11, I go live with a guest again. I might be adjusting that soon, but that then means that on Monday I have to follow up with that guest. I have to create an event page. I have to start pushing that out to people, having conversations with people about, about the show and then trying to have conversations about whether they'd want to come on it after. Um, one of the things that I do, which I, I don't know if lots of people do it, it's a bit of a, I wouldn't say it's a secret source, but at the start of every week and the end of every week, I look at investments that have been made. And that was one of the things that helped me get through COVID. So there's a number of different platforms that you can use that, that actively follow large investments being made into tech companies. Right. Go so, to, give us the, give us some websites that you look at, go to one that you'd recommend just be so, practical. So, yeah. So index is, is, it's I-N-D-E-X. And that then shows a list of businesses that first and foremost, you know, have got cash because it tells you how much they've got. And I try and then target the ones who aren't quite established enough 
to have that really um, built out recruitment team internally. Because again, I think we talked about this on the pod that that's quite common out here for a lot of businesses to have internal recruitment businesses. Um, and then I reach out and and I talk about their investment. I try and figure out where they're going to be putting that money, how much of that's going to be put into tech and research and development. Um, and then I start to create my my you know business opportunity from there. Um, whether that be introducing candidates, I've got other people in my team that might be valuable to them in terms of their growth. Um, and then there's not a lot more to it than that. It's all about like following up with those businesses, following up with those potential speakers, finding good candidates. I mean, obviously, if we've got a good candidate in process, we'll take that candidate to market and build a project plan around them. You know, identifying businesses that are similar to the ones he's interviewing at now or, or she's interviewing at now and their interests and stuff. So there isn't too much more to it than that. Um, I start my day eight o'clock, eight thirty. Finish six thirty, seven o'clock most days. Um, I'm, I used to be—I don't want to say really bad at it, but I used to never. There was never an end to my working week, so I work Saturday and Sundays, and I've kind of decided that I'm—I've taken those back. So make sure that you make time for yourself to stay fit, to stay healthy, to eat, to 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 just you know have a personal life. Recruitment. A lot of people are successful in recruitment when it's that's all they do, but you do need to find a balance. Mm, um, yeah. So my job is Monday to Friday, unless it absolutely requires me to work on the weekend, and it and it yeah. has to be a damn good reason for that. Um, otherwise, it's you know, just, just helps me enjoy what I'm doing and keeps me fresh. Yeah, I like it. Let's dig into the US market. So. Background. So I've got this question just while we're talking about this. Let me just get it up for you. Ollie Thompson, how much more of an opportunity is it in the US for tech DS recruitment compared to LDN, London, industry-wise, related to financial services? Ideally, obviously, I know that may not be your world, but I'm sure you can give some context here. But obviously, background, you started your career at, at Darwin particularly. Did you ever recruit in the UK or did you straight? was it straight away in Stockholm? Not, not at Darwin. Not a Darwin. That was, um, the, I mean, that was right at the beginning of my career. So I couldn't really compare the two. And I really didn't know a huge amount about recruitment or the market at the time. And data science yeah. really wasn't even on yeah. people's lips. I mean, what, was, why, didn't, why didn't you compare? Because you used to recruit Stockholm, right? Mm-hmm. I would say yeah, just generally speaking, like yeah. technology is more advanced in America. They are the early yeah, adopters yeah. of tech. You see most of the advancements happen here first, followed by London. And then other areas in Europe, Germany is another good place for that. Denmark are late adopters. So there's a, there's a big time delay between when something innovative happens here and then you start to see that happening in Denmark. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know enough about London in that sense. I just know that America are, are, are way more advanced. And because of that, there's always a lot of excitement around technology. And there's always that demand because there's always something new. Mm. And then how does that, that translate? No, no, that, that's I appreciate it. But then how does that yeah. translate? I know we spoke about this on the pod list, but just for context for people, like we're like I've had a number of people on the podcast that have said uh, fees are typically bigger mm. in, in America. Let's just talk about that for context, not because, yeah, that's what yeah. we're just here to talk about. But I think people want to know that, right? So if I am recruiting right now in the UK market and I'm typically recruiting this particular type of skill set for mm. this industry – what if I then try and build a desk in America? Does that mean I can potentially earn more money? Definitely. Yeah, it's it's not it's it's not wild to think that you can secure 25, 30% terms 
with these finance organisations for these data science hires, at least, again, from, mm. from my experience. From, yeah, your context, yeah. Yeah, from my perspective. And the average data scientist earns anything from 150 to 200K. That's the average data scientist. Yeah. Um, once you start getting into four or five years of experience, if they're a US citizen, you know, they've got very specific skills in machine learning, programming, they can be anywhere upwards of 250, 300, 400K. And then mm. when you start putting a 25 or 30% fee on top of that, you really can't compare the fees in America to anywhere else in the world. Yeah, um, yeah. I think you should, you should be able to quite easily see see the comparison, right? I'd like to think. Mm. Surely yeah. you could go on job boards and stuff and be and search for the typical job titles that you help. Then I don't know. Could you do that? I guess. Yeah, you could. I'm sure you could. I think that's that's one way of looking at it. The only thing is, is that I don't necessarily think job boards dictate what the the salaries are in the market. Yeah, because sure. in data science, they're so indiv- they're so individual, and if one person's a data scientist at a, again, let's just say a travel company, and one person's a data scientist at a quant fund, there could be two hundred k difference in their OTE. Like, mm-hmm. It can't be that big. Same level of experience, um, somewhat of similar skills, but that there, there's such a difference industry to industry. So. A lot of those businesses aren't always advertising either. So, so although you can look on a job board, it's not necessarily going to give you a really clear understanding. Real, of, yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not realistic. And and when businesses look at job boards and say, "Well, this is what the market's paying," it's not. That's not what they pay. Every single business yeah. is is different. Yeah. So I guess for those of you that are with us, I've had a number of people that have taken their recruitment career to America. I would say from the people that I've spoken to, and, and it has been a variety of sectors from tech mm. to engineering, manufacturing, like main, we don't, we can't just say for every sector, right? But I'd say most of the time recruiters have said, typically they will, typically they've been able to secure 25, 30% terms. And typically the, the um, salary bandings have been typically on average high in America. So mm-hmm. like if you're with us and you've identified there's a potential market for you in America, then the, mainly I've heard that genuinely you, you can potentially earn bigger fees. Now, it doesn't mean that it's still not hard work, but I think a lot of people are interested in that, aren't they? Like, can I actually make more money in America or are the fees bigger? And I'd say from the conversations that I've had, most of the time, I'd probably answer that question yes. And obviously yeah. you're testament to that as well and you've seen that. But we can't obviously say for every, every sector, can we? Um, it's not the same for every sector. I think just the one thing you just need to keep in mind is that when you get here, you will come up against internal recruiters and they're an integral yeah. part of the process and you can't get around them. So whilst you can earn a lot more money and there's not some immediate competition externally, you will be met with internal competition all the time. So it, it's not yeah. easy. So in, in, in over your corporate recruiters mm-hmm. is what, yep. typically what they're called, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Okay. So let, let's, so as we finish then, if you're still with us and you you want to get your question answered, um, put it in the comments. But what's Lewis's perspective? So I think I mentioned this on the last slide with Oliver Cook from uh, Fading International. Like before COVID, I would say a lot of recruitment business owners who are serious about growth have like mentioned about taking their business to America, like a lot of UK based recruitment businesses that came yeah. up in a lot of conversations. Right. So, so you've been there for a while now. 
and you, you work really hard to get to yourself to the point where you've moved over there and these things. But I guess what's Lewis's perspective and just from what you can see on like the landscape of potentially more UK businesses or UK recruiters taking their career to America? Like how, how realistic is that? How is that going to evolve and take shape going into 2021, do you think? I think it's very realistic to see more UK presence in America. For the most part, a lot of the successful recruitment companies here are English or, or UK based originally. Um, again, I think that's just because there's such a an attractive career path internally for people out here in America. I would say that the key to success, and I think this is going to be, we're going to be a testament to that as we continue to grow, is hiring remotely around America. So there's loads of really talented 360 recruiters, and often they're split between account development and, and delivery here. So to get the 360 people, it's unlikely you'll find them all in one place. So I think if you're a UK business looking to come to America, really be open to the idea of having hubs across the US. Um, you might not consistently find 100 people in Boston, for example. Um, we've yeah. just hired someone a little bit further south um, who's going to be, I think she might be moving to Denver or something soon. Um, but we've got a bunch of people that we're looking at across the US and um, the talent pool has just opened up completely. And, uh, and, and that's pretty like maybe that right. wouldn't have happened before, right? It wouldn't have happened. It just wouldn't. We tried to hire in Massachusetts and it was not impossible. Difficult. Yeah. Mm. Just really so that's difficult. exciting then, I guess. Really exciting. I, do, I think there's just, you know, we, we spent a year and a half, two years trying to get applicants coming through the door and we just we just couldn't. And now we opened up the doors, so to speak, to, to the rest of America and we just have loads of good talent in the pipeline. Um, and, mm. you know, as long as the team keeps producing, it's going to be a pretty exciting 2021 for us, I think, as as a, as a team. Yeah. So let's wrap this up then, Lewis, if it's okay with you, is like, if I'm watching this right now, I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of thinking right long-term, I'd love to be able to take to my, my recruitment career to the States. Mm-hmm. What would be your like three best tips to me? If I'm like, right, so I've, I've done a bit of research. It seems like there's definitely an opportunity for me to, take sort of what i've been doing in the uk or europe markets to america like there's a bit of context there and i'm like you know what i'm, I'm really serious about taking my career to america talking to lewis at the beginning of your journey of doing this yeah what what, what would you say to me Three first tip of advice the first tip is a personal one so when you get here very quickly try to establish some form of friendship group um, whether that be going and joining a sports club or a fitness center, or, or, or I know you could you could join a choir, whatever it might be that you're into. Um, <laughs> I don't know, um, but but create a friendship group because it, it can be incredibly lonely moving to a a different country and not having a support group around you. Your business is there to support you, but when the lights shut off and the office is closed, you're on your own. So, yeah. so make a conscious effort to, to get to know people, to, to build those relationships externally. Um, second, r- respect the, the recruitment process. I think naturally everyone's taught in European markets to go around recruitment teams and work directly with hiring managers. Whilst you'll see a lot of opportunity doing that, you'll get shut down a lot and you'll lose potential business, businesses and clients if you don't include recruiters in the process. They can be... in a really helpful part of the process if you build that relationship right to start with. Um, oh, if you don't, the yeah, respect the process. Um, 
and thirdly just have fun like I, I think what's the worst that can happen right you, you it doesn't work out and you go home um but you can leverage that to motivate you in that if you're really enjoying yourself if you decide to put your feet up for a little while or you don't focus you go home so so see that as a positive and uh and a, and a motivational tool um I'm sure nice. your mum or your mum or dad will have a room available and a bed made for you if, if it doesn't work Hopefully, out. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think just for context, because I know we spoke about this in the podcast, so feel free to add anything on this and then we'll leave it here. But like, it's a great advice there. And then I think final bits of context was like, you, you, you had a goal of billings and certain things that you really worked hard to achieve before you even thought about getting on a plane. Mm-hmm. You. So, like, why don't we just talk a bit about just really quick if it's okay with you, like just time frames and a bit about that because I think that would be really good final context for people because they might be like, sounds good, but how do I even get there? Or like, because I've heard most, not all the time, but a lot of the time, people do start working American hours in the UK and try and build towards something before they even think about getting on the plane. So, like, if you don't mind, just tell us a bit about that and then we'll we'll leave it there. Yeah, so we had a a obviously a desire as a business to make sure that we could afford moving to America. Um, I think initially there's a, a huge outlay when it comes to getting your visas, when it comes to relocating packages, everything like that. And then there's a, a period of time that a business needs to anticipate that in the first month or the first few weeks at the very least, you, you're likely to, to not see a lot of production because people are out there enjoying themselves, experiencing the, the the country, the state, whatever it is that they've moved into. Um, so so the recruitment drops off. So there is an amount of money that typically is, is going to cover your overheads. And then obviously there wants to be a bit of profit involved there. So we had set a figure, which was $100,000 per month um, for our team consecutively for three months that would then unlock the doors to, to us then relocating. Um, for me personally, I think initially we probably tried to reach too far You'll do less. I can only talk from from the perspective of data science and tech, but you'll do less deals initially, but they're of much higher value. So don't be disappointed if you only did six deals in one year. But if they're all valued at 50, 60K, all of a sudden you've got a very productive recruiter. But you just you just have to be prepared that you might not have as many processes going on. You have to be way more involved in the processes than you do in Europe. Um, and just don't be disheartened if you don't see an impact or, or a return straight away. It'll I think work, six, yeah. yeah, six to eight months is a fair run rate. Um, so getting here, getting the exciting part out of the way, starting to establish relationships, starting to see progress and then starting to make placements. Seems like a long time if you say after six months, you might start making money. But when yeah. you do start making money, the deal sizes are so large that you, you'll forget about those, those quiet six months. Yeah, and then and then really quickly, and then I'll let you go. And then so that's great. And then and then how long was it before you even got on the plane? Because it was quite a while, wasn't it? We did a we did a year and a half incubated in in the UK, which was working yeah, so from midday to to one or two. Solid the amount of time that do you know what I mean? Mm, Eighteen yeah. months of graft, American hours late before you yeah. even thought about the American birds digging the British accent and all that. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, like before you no over there, you're putting in all that work. Yeah, you have to, you, you give Good up your personal life that. completely. Yeah, you have to yeah. give up everything. You know, you're on that Friday when the boys and, and girls are down at a pub and, and they're calling you like, come and get some shots. You can't, you're still working. Yeah. 
No, I love that. Lewis, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on this live. Hope you all enjoyed that, got value from it. If you didn't get your question answered, I know Lewis is super keen to help, so drop him a message. But thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. And uh, Lewis, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Cheers, Jim. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? And if you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.